Hey, what is up, y'all? In this episode, we got my guy Ricky Stanzi, and we are going deeper into Gota and these movement patterns, how it applies to the actual game, how it applies to how the body should move, and we really go deep into even how we should walk, sit, and some things that could be causing injury, but more importantly, how we can use this in our games and how we can prevent injury, but get stronger, create more speed. There's so much packed in this episode, so let's go. Hey, what's up? I'm your host, Kyle Drink, and we're going beyond the swing. I listened to yours and uh, you and Hunter go That was good stuff. Appreciate yeah, the opportunity. I'm, yeah, no, I mean, it's, um, I'm definitely fascinated. Um, and, you know, I'm just that type of person when something intrigues me, I, I go all in. And, you know, like I told Hunter, uh, in all transparency, I've always had kind of a ill taste towards the fitness community. And we can talk, <laughs> talk about that. And, um, I had my reasons why, uh, partly just because mm-hmm. of some of the stuff I did, some of the stuff that I guess was more pushed in the golf world. You know, I mm-hmm. never really was into fitness, nor was it a big deal when I was young. I mean, Tiger Woods was kind of the guy who first made it popular. Um, and I just was always like, yeah, right. I'm fine. I'm not hurt. I'm good. I hit it far enough. Hey, um, honestly, that's the, we actually share a lot in common there. Cause that's a, that's a common theme that we try to get try to get our athletes to be less like these guys are so excited about lifting weight and getting mm-hmm. bigger and it's it kills their movement but like that's actually a good frame mind mind frame um frame of mind that we can work with as an athlete because it's we don't have to like convince them that they don't need deadlifts they're like yeah. no i don't really want it anyways <laughs> yeah well i definitely want to go into that but let's let's start like so your instagram is red pill rick yeah (laughs) what's what's the red (laughs) pill all about so the the red pill is just kind of signifying that there's a there's a way that things are being taught right now that are very far from the truth right very far from what we would consider to be the only objective reality which is nature so kind of it just kind of grew into that name over time as me being sort of the the voice or the, the the educator on the system that it was starting to get to a point where it was like you're handing out a red pill. You know, people would start mm-hmm. to say that you're handing out a red pill because it would totally flip their perception of something that they had seen as so routine. Like you're saying, the fitness industry is so normal. Um, if you're an athlete or anybody that's put a little bit of time into their body and, and kind of work through maybe physical therapy or some sort of training module, you've seen sort of the blue pill. What's like status quo, what's been handed out, what's been given to us like as if it's from an ivory tower and it's and it's you know it's truth and then we started looking at movement with slow motion video because now we had the capabilities and then it was like wait a second that's not true at all like the more you look at it, like wait none of it's true it's all built off of a faulty ground a faulty foundation so the red pill comes in is basically the offering of like are you are you interested in the truth are you ready to go see for yourself what's really going on and that's kind of how um, the name was created was just really centered around the idea of like, there's a blueprint that's in place. And we're arguing that that blueprint is way off of what nature has designed and go to saying, well, we looked at nature and this is the real blueprint. Here's what you really want. Well, let's, let's dive into that. I mean, what I guess is off, like what's, what's some of the most common things. I mean, again, I'm coming at this from, you know, a golf coach mm-hmm. who work with tons of juniors, college players, professionals, even, yeah. um, you know, what about some of that stuff, I guess, if you found is, is off or it could even potentially, I guess, be harmful. Yeah. I think the, the place you want to start is the foot and ankle. 
um, and in the way that the foot and ankle has sort of been categorized and um, the way that it's been, the, the behaviors that have been seen as acceptable at the foot and ankle le level are way off from what the slow motion video will show you is actually durable um, and, and what's actually durable versus what's fragile at the foot and ankle level. And a, a very simple way of, of describing what we're talking about at GOTA is that the fitness industry, the physical therapy industry, they're looking at sort of the ankle like a hinge. So they're seeing like this dorsiflexion action where it's almost like piston type energy. It's linear. They're seeing it as this forward back type of action at the shin level. Well, the shin's actually playing like a ball and socket and the foot is really behaving like a platform acting as a socket for that shin bone with its little tailless uh, ball and socket um, bone that plugs into the top of the foot. The shin more, more or less plays like a joystick. So the shin has this ability to kind of turn down, back and out on the landing. And it creates this little bow look that we would say from a 2D perspective, um, like a bow and arrow, it has a little bend to it, uh, a little curve in the, in the shape of the leg. And that's because the ankle, the shin bone and the thigh bone are doing this spiral turn outward on the landing. And they're doing that turn with the foot acting as sort of the platform. So the foot's not going to move. So that the ankle and the hip can move. And that's really the huge disconnect is that most people, most in the industry are saying, yeah, the foot's supposed to move. It's got to pronate and then it's got to supinate and there's got to be this collapse and they'll use this like elastic recoil and it's way off base because they were looking at, they were studying the norms versus studying the ideals. When you study the norms, if you're studying the Western world and you're studying us as a population, you're going to see things that are normal, but they're not the ideal. When you study nature, you're going to see things that are the actual ideal. You're going to see what it was designed to do if left unimpeded and not put in a scenario where it had to sit in chairs for eight hours a day. It had to wear a tight toe box for eight hours a day. It had to be subject to heels down lifting and, and, and linear type training. So when you watch the indigenous move, they look like the baby is moving when it's a toddler. So you see the ideal set in nature. And then you see the norms that came from studying us regular gen pop that's been subject to the Western society. And, and kind of the, I say probably the meat of the, the argument usually goes back to the foot and ankle because it's really just like apples and oranges. Sometimes we're talking with people like, dude, the, the ankle's not a hinge. They're like, well, of course it is. And it's like, no, it's not. I mean, just think about a shin bone being a linear concept, a hinge, but everybody will agree that the hip's a ball and socket. So you're saying a hip, should be creating some sort of rotary action while the shin below it is creating a hinge linear action. That's literally going to be shredding your knee on every single step. And we know the design's not built that way. It wouldn't built it. it would, the system wouldn't be built that way when your whole existence is really centered around your ability to move from point A to point B, your walking pattern. I mean, you put thousands and thousands of reps inside that one pattern just alone in a day extrapolate that over a lifetime, that pattern's got to be built for longevity. There's no argument that can be made to say, no, that's a pattern that's just, it's a one rep max. No, it's built for the long haul. It's built to be there when you're 100. It's there when you're one. It's built to be there when you're 100. And we're arguing for that pattern. We're saying that, look, that pattern is it. That's the blueprint, the bones, the tissue, everything's designed for the forward movement. So you're designed to be a spring, 
And the way that that foot complex works is it holds steady. The heel is up so that the shin doesn't get locked. And the shin and the thigh can just open and close in a spiral manner inside that foot socket platform and nothing gets shredded. There's no log jam where the, the shin bone gets stuck and the knee shreds. There's no disharmony between your foot and your shin that blows the Achilles. So the more we've looked at slow motion video, we've been able to go further into the details of why. So that's interesting. So now like in golf, like a lot, I mean, it's mainly a rotational sport. I mean, there's obviously ground right. force, vertical stuff like that. Um, you know, and you were saying how you listened to, you know, me talking to Hunter. And when I first talked to Hunter, he was talking about squaring the feet up and essentially using the third, fourth and fifth toe. And, you know, mm -hmm. first thing I did, obviously I went and experimented with myself and I was always somebody who was pretty tight in my right hip where I would have people just mm -hmm. say, Oh, you're tight. So your, your body's going to swivel this way. Cause you can't rotate your yeah. hip. Well, the first thing that happened when I got my heel off the ground to turn is my right hip turned like it's never turned before. So yep. but like, I mean, now I'm just like light bulbs are going off. I was like, what, what's, what's this about? So help mm -hmm. me, help me decode what just, what happened there. I mean, is that a thing? Yeah. Like are people actually too tight or are they just not yeah. using the right thing to, to be able to actually rotate? Yeah. It's a combination of both. It's, it's, it's the fact that movement's subconscious. So whatever your pattern is that you're getting locked into on a day to day, you're going to default to that. Now, when someone like Hunter shows up and he gives you an alternate pattern to try out, really what is your design is to be able to play heels up. Well, once you start to play inside the design, you start to find that space in the capsule that you just haven't been going into. Mm -hmm. And Hunter and, and Brian did the same thing with me when I went down to work with them. They just put me in slow motion. They're like, dude, watch your backswing. And every time I went to go into my backswing, my right foot, my heel would just boom. Like I would lock up my shin lock up my thigh, and then I have to try to do something magical with the upper half to try to get back there. What happened for you was when you lifted that heel, much like I was just talking about with that shin bone being like a platform and or being like a joystick and the foot being a platform, when you lifted up that heel and you kept that foot straight, you started to create a decompressed foot and ankle structure. So if the foot and ankle are decompressed, you're going to get more turn from that shin bone. You get more turn from that shin bone, you're going to get the turn from the thigh bone. So you got to see your knee is really just a hinge that is more linear up and down. And then the rotary action is actually happening from the shin and the mm -hmm. thigh. But how you set that foot platform up will largely dictate what type of rotary turn can happen in the shin and the thigh. And that will go upstream all the way into the pelvis, out into your wrist, in the hand and the grip. So what you did by lifting your heels up was you gave that shin bone more clearance to sit back. You gave that hip bone more clearance to sit back. Now, when you try it the first time, you're like, wow, I have way more access, but it's almost like a new path. Like, you know, it once, but you have to keep walking over that path to make it to the point where when you're on the seventh tee and you want to go driver and swing out of your shoes, you can actually still have access to that move. So it's like you learn the new pattern and then you got to kind of you got to beat it down with reps so that it becomes strong and it has endurance. And then it can be brought into the competitive arena. But the actual mechanics as to why, did, why was I feeling something different was just the fact that you liberated that foot, you liberated that ankle, you allowed that hip to now sit just a touch further back and you should mm -hmm. be able to feel that back pocket light mm -hmm. up. Like we tell people when you're loading a bow, which would be your backswing, your landing, if you will, if you're going to translate it to the walk or the run, you want your back pocket to light up. So you kind of want to place all the pressure into that coiled structure, that rotary 
spiral turn and the front side's working with the backside. You know, as you're loading up your backside and it's opening, your front side's closing. So the more you can create a straight foot, inner ankle bone high, you give the shin bones the most ability to turn. You just have to be patient with yourself and you have to realize that, okay, the day, day one of me recognizing this, I don't have that go to 10 ankle yet, but it's something I'm going to strive towards. It's something I'm going to continue to work on in my setups. And the more that you kind of go back to that pattern, all you're doing is you're saturating the nervous system with good reps. And the more you do that, you'll notice your backswing start to change over time. The good thing about Gota is that since the backswing is the load of the landing, every single exercise that you would be getting that would be working on that loading action would be directly helping your backswing. So that's why Gota has been great for the golfers. And sometimes we don't even, for me, I don't even talk about the swing. I just mm-hmm. hand out the exercises, explain the basics that are needed there, and then say, go do these exercises. And then they're like, yeah, I can notice I'm sitting further in my backswing. I have more power. It's just because you're giving them more access to the hardware. You're giving them more access inside that capsule. Yeah. And I definitely want to go into some of the exercises and things, but, you know, staying on the, the motion in the Mm -hmm. actual sport, um, you know, one thing that's been talked about since I can remember in golf and I was trained on is, you know, for a right-handed player, when you swing back, get into your right heel, you know, that was how you got depth in the swing. Now, something that's always just like intuitively kind of, I picked up on a long time ago and I, I never had a reason why my reason was always, I thought it was a balancing agent is that when somebody gets in their heels, they're going to recorrect to their toes, which is why I would see some people always fall forward, you know, mm. cause we can't really withstand off their heels. But if I'm yeah. hearing you right, that just might mean we just can't turn off the heel. Is that right? Yeah. The, the heel is going to lock you up. Like, so the heel, when you bring the heel into play, it's going to turn the shin bones inward. So this is kind of where the lifting you know, mechanism is, is a deep dive scenario where if I'm picturing a deadlift or I'm picking something up, the foot will kind of go crooked and it'll start to go flat. It'll want to use its heel. When you do that, you bring the shin bone inward. So once you bring the shin bone inward, now the only place to kind of go is to turn it back outward to create that torque. So the problem with going into your heels on the backswing is like we just talked about, you want the shin bone to turn outward. You don't want to sway linear side to side. I know people have talked about that. You don't want to be, it's not a linear move. It's not a lateral push. It's a spiral staircase that moves down, back and out. So you'll be getting depth inside this column and that will unlock sort of that, that, that rotary pattern. Now, when people were putting their heels down, yeah, you're going to see them do some sort of compensation to get into that position. Now there's some sort of wiggle room there where, you'll start to feel like your heel is getting closer. But I use the analogy, imagine that your heels are eggshells. So just don't crunch them. Like it's okay if they feel like they're hovering somewhat close to the ground, but don't go ahead and like make those the main point of pressure. You want the main point of pressure to kind of be that outside ball of the foot where the heel feels very like an eggshell where it's very light. And then the big toe is just kind of sitting there to balance. It's not the main pivot point. And if you can find that sort of space in the foot, you'll, you'll unlock a ton inside the ankle. The other problem with loading the heel on the backswing is what it's going to do to your downswing is when you go back into the downswing, you're going to see people do what we would call cut the corner where the inside of the foot goes down into the ground. And that's their way of sort of getting the shin to go back inward. So the heel in the ground is going to stop the shin from opening up as much as it should. And then it's going to make it a little sketchy when you bring that shin back inward for your downswing. 
So you want to just keep the heel up and let the shin open and close like it should. But in order to do that, you got to be really strong in your back chain. I mean, your glutes and your hammies got to be really, really, you know, educated on how that would work out. It's very tough for people that have been sitting a long time. Their back, their low, their backside, their hammies and glutes are muted. So if you ask them to do this when they've been conditioned to a certain swing, it's like, dude, I can't do that. I'm going to completely ruin my game. Not to mention what it's going to expose on the upper half with your shoulders. You'll feel like your backswing has been shortened. Everything's just more com compact into the bow. Um, but that's why the heel up is something that you should be working towards because it will help organize a better backswing and downswing. It'll cut down on the compensations, but the down the line long-term effect of not using your heel as you go to walk, that will make you a healthy golfer, healthier golfer throughout your lifetime of putting all those rounds and all those swings and all that walking on the system. So one way, like I felt that, and I've kind of started helping players introduce that is I'll, I'll have them actually take their foot and like almost try to dig a hole in the ground with the ball, of their foot. So like heel yeah. up and just like twist it in the ground, because the, what I felt right away is again, my heel swung in, like you said, the shin rotated in, which is interesting. I never thought about that. And that's like mm -hmm. actually how I help some players do it is I'll just grab, like have them lift their heel and I'll grab their ankle and their shin and just twist it and their whole hip goes straight back. Again, yep. I don't know if I'm doing that hundred percent right, but that's kind of what I picked up from you guys so far. And seeing how much they turn is moving. crazy. Yeah. If you think of, in order for the ankle to turn something, it's got to be inside something that's not moving. It's a, mm -hmm. like a joystick. Like mm -hmm. if the platform of the joystick keeps moving, the joystick doesn't move. Yeah. So the platform needs to sit still so that the rotary action of the joystick can, can pull off. You can pull off that move. That's where the foot comes in for us. We want our foot to hold still. When you're doing these movements and you start to turn the shin in or out, you should feel like, man, I'm really driving down that outside corner of the foot. Now you're keeping all the toes down, including the big toe. So all the toes are down, but because of the inner ankle bone high tilt, because it's the foot is really shaped like a half dome, the inside sort of come, becomes like a cliff side. And you even notice it with the way that the toes are designed, like the pinky toe gets shorter, all the toes sort of cascade down and they get into that little funnel on the outside corner, which is really the eye of the storm for you. It's your pivot point. It's that point that all the energy is going to move around. That's the outside corner for us. All the toes stay down, but the pressure gradient is such that you're going to feel way more pressure on that outside corner, even though you're keeping the big toe down. When you do that, you should feel like your heels want to come up. Like they're getting into alignment like a big cat. Look at the big cat from the side. The heels are never touching down. Even though we're bipedal and we're upright, we still want to keep that same feeling of heels up because that's what's letting you unleash that power of the Achilles. So that heel sits still and then the shin turns. That's why you're feeling that huge rotary access and you're feeling more power when you lift that heel up slightly because what you've done now is you've, you've created that inside ankle bone high foot structure. And when you create that inside ankle bone high foot structure, that heel is basically locked and it's not going to move and it's lifted up. And when that heel is locked and it's strong, then the shin turns and that winds up the Achilles. So now when you wind up that Achilles, you wind up that whole leg and you're like, wow, where's this power been? And it's not even a tension thing. It's just a mechanical thing. It's just how you're aligning the bony landmarks. So by aligning the bony landmarks, in thinking less about tension, you'll notice the tension sit in the proper spaces and the tension should feel somewhere on the backside outside of the body. And that's sort of that net of power, that net of, you know, connective tissue that you want to sit into 
And that's where the, the ball and sockets have all that space to make the turns. And that's what you're looking at in these really clean backswings and downswings is somebody that's got enough space to pull off that move and get the arms into the slot. And you know it when you see it, just like when you see early extension, you're like, ooh, that doesn't look good because that's front chain dominance. When you see somebody flushing it, they're, if you were on a back view where their glutes are to start, they even go further back when they're getting near impact because they're getting further into their back chain. They're creating all that space. So it really comes down to space. There's compression versus decompression. 99% of the people walking in for these golf lessons or showing up to the tee box are living in some sort of compressed state. Goda awakens them to this, shows them where their compression is and says, hey, here's the prescription to start to get you to a decompressed state. Here's some of those behaviors. Let's just keep saturating the system with them. And then you notice it translate directly to your golf game because once again, the whole system is centered around walk, run, throw, swing, strike. So your underhand swing falls right into that same category. The walk is the underhand swing. You can walk with your club and swing it with your hands and the pattern just stays the same. The club face opens and closes. Your body column, side of the side of your body opens and closes as well. This show is brought to you by Mental Golf Type. And if you haven't heard of Mental Golf Type yet, then you need to go to mentalgolftype.com and check this out because this is an incredible, powerful mental game of performance system that you can implement very easily because it is tailored to how you and how you are mentally wired. So some of the questions you might have had along the way of, why can I perform great on practice? Why do I hit it great on the range and I go on the course and it's something totally different? Why am I inconsistent? Why can I score so well one day and the next is something totally different? Well, all of those questions have to do with how you are mentally wired, how you are using your mental energy, how you're seeing targets, how you're making decisions. This is all stuff that has to do with your mental golf type and you could take your free assessment and figure out a lot of things really quick for absolutely free at mentalgolftype.com so you definitely want to get over there and check that out because I can't even imagine trying to coach players without knowing that information Uh, so again check out mentalgolftype.com you won't regret it now let's get to that show so let's let's talk about early extension because that's a big one in golf and yeah um I think this kind of starts with my whole disdain is probably a harsh word, but just my questioning of some of the fitness industry. So I, you know, coming up, I've done all the fitness screens, been through all the stuff. I've had different schools of thought. Some just say your body's designed a certain way. Some are saying you have to move a certain way. Um, I couldn't pass any of those screens. I'll leave nameless for now. And I can do everything in the golf swing. That's hypothetically right. I can get my hips back. I can clear space. Again, I can't do a pelvic tilt. You know, it's hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, my hips don't rotate. I can't do a deep squat, but I can do mm-hmm. all those movements. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, well, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> um, but for me, again, early extension, like everywhere I've ever seen, and I've helped players do the same thing and create space is because I just essentially got them off their heels without even knowing mm-hmm. that stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, again, if you're to me, weight just goes where it hasn't been. And again, that's, that's always been my theory, but if, again, if I'm on my heels, I have nowhere to go. I can't push back. All I can do is recorrect to the toes, but when we're moving fast, essentially our body's trying to regain balance. Again, at least this is what I've gathered through my years of watching swings. And I've always seen just people move in a way of trying to get balanced. So if my hips are sitting way back behind my heels and I can just give you a little shove, you're going to fall forward. Well, first thing we're going to do is recorrect, but in golf, mm-hmm. like usually that's coming in a manner where heels are going to toes and the hips are thrusting forward. Hence early extension. Yeah. 
So what, I guess, what's your, your take on that? Because again, like I said, there's a big school of thought out there that's, that's teaching people. And I, I don't know if this is right or wrong. That's why I'm talking to you guys and trying to learn what I can, but there's a big school of thought, especially even in the long drive industry of saying the heels are the accelerators and they're teaching yeah. people how to get on their heels and basically thrust off to create speed. Um, yeah, again, I, I would not right recommend there. that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would not recommend that for uh, the longevity of the system. Um, and it's just not, it's not designed that way. It's not designed, um, to be elastic through the heels, a simple, uh, I think Hunter even brought this up is, is we'll do this with people to keep it like, duh, start trying to, to, you know, jump rope on your heels or just start to jump up and down, bounce up and down on your heels. Like there's no elastic potential on the heel. It's dead. Now you start to try to bounce up and down on the ball, of your foot, you feel that springiness, right? The jump rope. That's the energy that you're trying to tap into from that static golf swing. So there's a couple things that need to be in place from a decompressed state as we're, as we're defining it in order to pull off your, your best rotary action. This could be for the walk, the run, the throw, or the swing. So this pertains not only to golf, but just how you're moving in general, because everything's built for moving forward, right? The eyes are in the front, the big muscles in the back, it's, it's rocket propulsion, boom, you throw something out the back, it shoots you forward. So we have that taking place on a turn in golf, but we're trying to move that energy down the fairway. Now, if you're looking at a golfer, you're standing behind the golfer, right? Let's say they're going down, you're behind them as they're looking out into the fairway um, down the line view, right? And um, there's a relationship there between the tailbone and the crown of the head. And generally the tailbone's back, the crown of the head's forward, right? So that's kind of like a forward pitch, if you will, almost like you're sitting in a chair, you're leaning over the ball, that relationship between the tailbone and the crown of the head, where the tailbone's back and the crown of the head's forward, that's what we would call back chain dominance. So it's like the, it's the old athletic position that they used to teach in gym class, where you, you sink your, mm -hmm. you, you bend your knees, your butt goes back, your head kind of moves forward. You're in this athletic position where you're able to move in any direction. It's just your body getting into a back chain dominant state that is a little more accelerated from what is needed when you're standing. So I like to think of it like a light dimmer that the light can be on, albeit it's very dim. And then I can turn that light even brighter. So back chain dominance and inside ankle bone high sort of work the same. So that's why you'll see these golfers at the address. They've got a certain relationship between the tailbone and the crown. And then as they go into their backswing, they should keep that relationship. And then when they even go down into the accelerator move of the corner, you sometimes see those guys create a better relationship there where the, the tailbone even goes further back from its starting point and the crown moves further forward. And that's when they create that huge space, which is the opposite of early extension, where now the hips are going, the belt buckle is going further away from the golf ball as opposed to getting closer to the golf ball. So if you're sitting there and your belt buckle is getting closer to the golf ball as you're coming down towards it, that means you're compressing the system. You stop the hips from having the space. You stop the ankles from having the space. You're going to have to do something crazy, some sort of compensation with those hands to make that move happen. And you're probably going to slice or come across the ball. But if you can keep that back chain dominant relationship, tailbone back, crown of the head forward, you're in a place where now you have space for the hip and the ankle. The other caveat there though, is what's going on at the foot. So you want to have both of those things set because you need the whole system to be decompressed. Inside ankle bone high is essentially how I'm going to decompress that foot and ankle area. Back chain dominance is kind of more bringing the focus to the tail, to the crown, but all together it's one concept. 
It's one concept of giving me my best chance to pull off this turn by giving the system the most space it needs to have that multiplanar spiral of down, back, and out, up, around, and in take place without having any sort of log jam or missing pieces inside that cycle. So you'd want to be able to keep your tailbone back and your crown forward without dipping into the heels. And that's where the cueing comes in as creating a strong foot foundation, get that thing set, give them an understanding, and then start to mess with that tail to crown relationship, never letting the crown go up and back as the tail moves forward. That would be the death move in golf. It's really the same death move if I'm landing from the sky as a volleyball player. It's the same death move if I'm going to cut, change direction as a football player and my head goes up and back, my pelvis goes forward, my tailbone goes forward, and I go inside ankle bone low. That will hurt you in the run. It will hurt your swing on the golf course because it's the same design. It's still a foot and ankle whether we put it on a football field or we put it on the tee box. It has to behave a certain way. The Achilles tendon doesn't change its fibers, doesn't change its orientation, doesn't change its design just because you put on foot joints. It's still the same machinery. It's still the same hardware and it's got to be treated as such. So one way that, um, you know, I've kind of done this, you know, since talking to Hunter and, and been helping students feel this too, is I'll have them stand off of an elevated mat with essentially just mm-hmm. the balls of their feet on the ground. I just yeah. practice turning without their heels touching. Uh, I think it. that's been a pretty good exercise because, you know, some people, you know, it teaches you to use that part of the foot pretty quick, at least in my mm-hmm. experience. I mean, if you don't, you yeah. just fall on your face or you fall back on your heels. So not only are you getting balanced stuff, but, you know, is that a good way to do it? Do you have other ways that golfers could kind of experience what you're talking about? Because, I mean, listen to it on a podcast sometimes, you know, I just I'm thinking oh, yeah. if I'm listening to this, I'm like, how would I do that? Yeah, I think that's a great way. Uh, Hunter had me do that. Hunter and Brian had me do that when I was down there to kind of feel it. And it was like a it's a shock because you're like, oh, I, I have not been doing that. Yeah, Because yeah. you know, when you go to turn, like, that's not what I was doing. Another easy way to do it, and you won't, you'll have to put the club down. If you want to get the club in your hand, that mat is a good idea. We also make these chucks, which is our, our great little teaching tool, because it's like almost like Jenga. The chuck is there, but you don't want to collapse into the chuck. So mm. it kind of gives you this awareness of where your foot should be as kind of like a little teaching tool to help keep that heel off of the chuck as you're turning. Another way that I always like to do this where it really requires no equipment, all you need is a wall, is just go ahead and put your glutes against the wall, put your tailbone against the wall, get into your normal golf stance, and then lift the heels. Because now you've got some wall support behind you. You're going to have a little more awareness to this tail to crown relationship, and it will just make it a lot easier for you to kind of take something out of it to where you don't have to worry about going fast. You can go slow through the movement, and you can really lift your heels in that in that that movement, that exercise. So I'll go against the wall. Now I know my tail to crown relationship. So I know if my head's getting closer to that wall, I'm in trouble. So I want to keep my tailbone against that wall, but I want to keep the crown of my head far away from that wall throughout the whole swing, especially as I'm getting down into the hitting zone. From there, you just put your palms together. And then you can just have the palms matching as you go through your swing to mimic the club face. But now you have a setting where you can sit against that wall, almost like a wall sit. You can just take the hands up into the backswing and just sit there with the heels up and just let your body cook. Let your body become aware of where you are. Notice how there's more hip turn. Notice where you're short. Notice where certain areas be like, ooh, that feels like it's locked. That's where you want to go get some more access. So you can kind of take everything out of it. Just use a wall, even the club and the ball, and take those out of it and just sit there and kind of go through that motion. But with the heels up, with the tail against the wall, and with the crown of the head far away from the wall, 
palms matching and just go through your swing, not fast, go through it really slow and think, I'm going to try to hold the top of the backswing. And I'm going to try to hold that moment as I come through the release where my arms are out in front of me and I've got that back heel away and that front heel wants to stay up so I can get the same turn on the front side as I go into my follow through. So that's a, that's a drill that I've found to be great for awareness, um, great for getting rid of all the other things, not worrying about the club, not worrying about your grip, not worrying about the ball, not worrying about where it is in your stance. Mm-hmm. Just get against the wall, get your feet about shoulder width apart. You can even bring them in closer, keep your feet straight keep your heels up, keep your palms together and just try to go through your swing and try to go through that pattern and and notice, you know, where you're tight and notice where you feel like more activation. You should feel a little bit of both. You're like, Ooh, I, I feel how this can be really strong, but I also feel like I also can feel why my body hasn't been letting me get to these positions. Yeah. I mean, it it was definitely interesting when I, when I did it and that's why, you know, I'm very curious to keep these conversations going. Um, Mm -hmm you know, so getting off, off of the actual technique and stuff a minute and fast forwarding. So there's two other pieces. Like I want to talk about, you know, in between essentially shots, how we're walking, moving, Mm -hmm. and then also, you know, fitness stuff as well. And, you know, I guess, I guess my first kind of leading question is, is why do we see such a high injury rate in golf? Like it just, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Well, it's, you know, these are, these are bodies that are subject to the same sort of woe to coding that's been built into our society. You know, everybody, I don't care who you are, you're subject to a chair. So because of that, everybody's lower back, pelvis, hip relationship is muted. We've, I've done a lot of assessments and I have never seen one come in there. Maybe one young kid came in back chain dominant, but 99.9% of people that show up in our society have their hips pushed forward. So you're already living in a compressed state. Remember, compression is the root of all evil inside this musculoskeletal system. You could say it's the root of all evil inside the other systems in the body. Cardiovascular would be the same way. If there's a problem there, it becomes a heart attack. Same thing's happening at the musculoskeletal system. If there's compression inside that blood vessel, you've got an issue. If there's compression inside that heart, you've got an issue. If there's compression inside that foot, inside that hip, inside that lower back, you've got an issue. It's just a matter of when's this thing going to come out. I think people probably look at golf and they're maybe comparing it to football, basketball, and they're seeing the explosiveness and dynamic of those sports and say, well, golf's just a swing, but you're swinging a one rep max. I mean, you're putting it all out there during that swing. That swing is not an easy move. The floor level swing requires so much back chain dominance, so much inside ankle bone high. If you extrapolate that over how many times these guys swing in a week, you know, in a day. Um, It's obvious to see as to how those compressed structures that have imbalance that start to put a lot of swings on the system and they keep bringing those compensations around and around and then they go walk. And you know, there's a lot of walking involved on the PGA Tour, involved in high level golf, no matter where you are, whenever you're competing, there's probably going to be a walking scenario. And if you think about day three, day four, how many steps you've just put on that system, you're already compressed going into it. You've been swinging the club a ton for a long time inside these compens- inside these compensatory patterns. Then you start to put the walk on it. You can see how maybe day three, day four, people start to wear down, or you could see how during the middle of the season, people start to lose sort of access. They start to go for too much. They're, you know, obviously guys are, are um, you know, going through the ringer in the middle of the season. It, it makes perfect sense as to why people, so many golfers are injured because, well, we're watching them walk. 
And if I'm watching these guys walk down the fairway, I'm like, man, there's a lot of crooked feet. There's a lot of front chain dominance. Um, there's a lot of heels down. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that's either just been something that's been taught or it's showed up for some reason in their youth. And it just kept through their, you know, their adulthood and into their, com- com- you know, competitive days. But I think the PGA Tour and, and golf in general, those injuries are really no different than you're seeing at the NBA, at the NFL, in the general pop. Pretty much everybody's in- injuries are increasing. You know, you look mm-hmm. at MLB. MLB is one that kind of MLB and the NBA kind of sh- like took a, you know, a, a, a step forward, if you will, in injuries. It was always the NFL was sitting there with all the injuries. Then the NBA and the MLB started to show more and more injuries. Well, you look at how they're training more and more of those teams are using the deadlift. They're using the lifting um, engine as their main way of training that slowly crept itself into the MLB and the NBA world. It really wasn't there 10, 15 years ago, you know, back in the eighties and early nineties, football players were always lifting weights, but it was commonplace where MLB players were like, dude, we don't touch weights. Even NBA players, we don't touch weights. Golfers, we don't touch weights. Well, now look at the landscape. Look at Dustin, look at Brooks Kepka, look at Justin Thomas, look at all these Rory, Tiger. They all started to play around with the weight. They all started to try to get bigger, get stronger. The one rep max became extrapolated with all the different hitting gadgets and all the different measurables. So now that swing speed and that launch monitor and those distances, they're, they're sexier now. And so now they're trying to chase that one rep max. When you chase that one rep max, you fall back into the one rep max training which is kind of the baseline of the industry, bench, deadlift, squat. That was always kind of reserved for the the lifters and the football players. It slowly over the past 20 years crept into what was largely seen as more movement sport, NBA, MLB, and even now the PGA, you're seeing more people training that modality. So I think that's a big reason why you're seeing more golfers today seem to show up with these injuries because they're kind of just holding their system under the under you know they're putting accelerator into the system they're putting lighter fluid into the system whereas maybe back in you know 60s 70s 80s guys were still front chain guys still had problems but at least they weren't in the weight room like doubling down with deadlifts and back squats they were just playing golf and so maybe they did fall apart but not as quickly as you're seeing some of these young guns like look at brooks kepka i mean what a talent what a stud but big time knee issues at a very young age yeah, I always just contributed the NFL to guys getting hit by somebody six six and it's easy to disguise. But, yeah, NFL is no, easy to disguise, right? Yeah, but you're hit. you're right though. I mean, seeing this in all these other sports was always interesting. I mean, the NBA, I, I forget it was in recent years. I mean, I think ten of the top twelve draft picks were were out like immediately, and I was just like, holy cow! I mean, they've you know, so that's something to be said, but. um, you know, something you've mentioned multiple times, I just, because again, I'm kind of a dummy with this stuff. You say front chain dominance, back chain dominance. Yeah. Like what, what is that? Um, simple example. And Hunter brought attention to this during your guys' talk, but imagine yourself in front of a counter. So you're at the countertop doing dishes or getting something ready at a counter. Most people tend to lean their hips against the counter, right? So you can imagine that countertop in front of you, your hips are now leaning into the counter from where your feet are your hips are in sort of in front of your ankle bone. So now when you start to move those hips forward and you're pressing against that counter, see that as front chain dominance, meaning you're starting to dominate with the front side inside tissue. Almost imagine like a corset where you're normally when you put a corset on, you put it on from the front, you tie it in the back. And the whole point of the corset is to create length through the torso. 
your back chain muscles sort of work in the same way. Your backside outside is kind of pulling the skeleton back and creating length so that the ball and sockets have space. Well, front chain dominance is kind of creating the opposite. It's pulling everything forward, down, and in, and it's compressing it. Now, this works if you're going to get sort of ready to go lift, and you're going to sort of get into this brace position. You're going to dig your heels in, and then you're going to spin everything out in reverse. But you don't want to live in that compressed front chain dominant state. 99.9% of people are living in that front chain compressed state. So when they come to us and we do our standing assessment, we do a basic standing profile. We just have you turn, we look at everything in a 360 view. When they turn to the side, you're going to see everybody's hip now sitting in front of that ankle bone. So their hips sitting in front of the ankle bone. If you just look at those three spots, the, the ankle, the hip, and the ear, 99.9% .9 of people have their hip and their ear pushed forward of the ankle bone. So that is a compressed state. People are living inside that compressed state. That is the chair. The chair is pushing your hips forward. It's, it's condensing and collapsing the structure. It's not a natural way to sit. You're actually supposed to sit on the ground. That will keep you in a back chain dominant state where you can keep that relationship like we were hinting at during early extension talk, the tailbone back, the crown of the head forward. That starts to get louder as you get into a more dynamic move like a golf swing. But it, when I'm just standing in line or getting ready to move, my ear, my hip, and my ankle should all be stacked right on top of each other. So if you were standing at that counter, you would not be leaning your hips against that counter. Instead, you'd be pulling your hips away from that counter and you would feel sort of a decompression take place throughout the backside of the structure. The back chain dominance is really just saying the backside of the body is the dominant side of the body as opposed to being front chain dominant, which is saying now you're dominating with the front side of the body. So don't look at it as 50-50 where, well, as much as I train the backside muscles, I want to train the front side muscles. It doesn't work that way. It's just like the car. You practice and you do most of your driving in forward gear. You have the ability to go in reverse, but you don't live. You don't keep the car in reverse. Same thing for your body. You have the ability to go into the front chain if you need to lift or you need to do something to get out of, you know, to back out but it's not where you're supposed to be living. The majority of people don't live in that front chain and then everything else that they want to do surrounding that forward pattern becomes compressed. So if I'm hearing you right, like bench pressing and stuff like that is just essentially beach muscles. <laughs> you don't really need it. Yeah. You, you don't need it. Like you can, football players will try to make the argue like they, they need to, to, to press, but it always comes back to the foundation. You need to be able to press while being inside ankle bone high, heels up in your back chain. For a golfer, for the life of me, I can't imagine why you would ever even flirt with a bench press. I mean, it's really the last thing you need. All it's going to do is take that, that shoulder girdle, the head and neck region, the upper, you know, the thoracic and lumbar, and it's going to compress all of it. And when that gets compressed, you're just going to kill, you're going to kill your turns. And you mm -hmm. need those turns. You need all of the turn in golf. You can't, you can't give it up. So now does this, do these things, do you need exercises again? I mean, I'm looking at this, like, you know, a lot of people listening to be fair, are probably not going to go do exercises, but yeah. like just, just being conscious of inside ankle bone, high feet straight and standing, you know, essentially with your hips back, like, will that help mm -hmm. people just doing that? Absolutely. Because what we're really teaching here, Kyle, is we're teaching behavior. So like we're saying we're, we have kind of 
shrunken the view for everybody and say, look, here's what's really going on. There's this forward moving pattern that our musculoskeletal system is, is just centered around. It's designed around the ability that I'm at point A in order to affect change on the environment. I need to go to point B. I need to move forward through space. So I need to exchange this pressure from one side of my body to the other side of my body. And now I'm in a point B and then I'm going to keep moving forward through space. So Goda is saying that basic like walking pattern is it. The standing, the resting is it. So there's a 10% of your day that could be looked at as I'm going to set aside this 10% for training. There's a whole nother 90% that's going to be non-negotiable. Everybody's got to walk. Everybody's got to stand and wait. Everybody's got to rest. If you can start to capture those three, that really those two, this, the, the walking and the resting portions of your day, and you can bring them into a, an awareness where at the beginning you have to train them. So at the beginning, there's always going to be more awareness on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that happened in everybody's golf swing that's listening. It was really difficult at first. The more you played that rep over and over again, the easier it got. No different here for Goda. At first, it will be difficult to tell yourself, hey, you've been walking with crooked feet. Get your feet straight, get your heels light, get your inner ankle bones high, and keep that relationship, your feet close, feet straight, inside ankle bones high, as you're walking in your day-to-day. It'll be difficult day one, day two, day three, but by month two and three, you're not even thinking about it. It's just who you are. Same thing could be said for the resting world. If you can steal a few reps, if you will, the, the chair is going to be there. You're going to get in your car. You're going to have to sit at your desk. There's going to be a lot of times that you're going to find yourself in a chair. But if you now conditioned or at least educated on the fact that, hey, the body's meant to rest on the ground. And by resting on the ground, I'm essentially keeping this decompressed state that's going to create a spiral out and a spiral in. I'm keeping it tuned up. So like crisscross applesauce, Seiza, uh, cowboy posture. We have all these postures that we've observed cross-culture all over the world. Nobody created those. They're just postures that the human body, babies and indigenous, will naturally get into to keep the system tuned up for the next movement that takes place. So if you're somebody that's like, dude, I'm not going to do a bunch of workouts. I'm not going to give you an hour of my day to work out. First off, you don't have to. The majority of people that I deal with in the golfing world, I ask them, can you give me 10 to 20 minutes a day of, of, of training? If you give me 10 minutes to do a basic groundwork wall work regimen where you don't even need any weight, all you need is a carpet, a mat, and a wall, and you give me 10 minutes just to kind of floss through these behaviors, because that's really what they are. I'm going to be taking you through either a bow, a corner, or a little bit of both. And that's it. And you're either doing one of those two things, either with your foot on the ground, or you're doing them as your foot is in the air. That's all that's happening in this, in this movement pattern. I land, I transfer, I release, and I reset. I land, I load, I transfer in the corner, and then I release and reset. So our training isn't really like exercises as we've come to know them, where oh, I'm training this certain plane, I'm training this certain muscle. No, what you'd be looking at is I'm training a better movement behavior that's not only going to affect my aesthetics, it's going to affect every corner of my life because this behavior is the centerpiece to how I move as a species. So if you're going about this this the right way, you'll have a little regimen that you're sticking to. Give me 10 minutes a day. If you can give me 20, great. If you can give me a 10-minute session in the morning and a 10-minute session at night, that's awesome. If you want to go bonus, give me 30 minutes a day and try to fit that 10 minute session somewhere in the middle of the day, maybe after a long sitting marathon or before you're going to warm up. So at max, 
for the majority of people, even our top tier athletes, this would be like your daily regimen. What does it look like to try to make yourself go to give me somewhere between 10 to 30 minutes inside the regimen? If you'll at least give me 10, that's great. Let's say you don't even want to give any time to the regimen. If you just take care of your walk and you just take care of some of the resting derivatives, you're well on your way to over time starting to get yourself in a better position to where you're moving well. Now, if you're somebody that's going to play high-level sports where you're going to be jumping and cutting and landing and, and launching yourself, I'd want you to give me more time. But if you're just trying to play golf well and you're trying to go through your day-to-day pain-free, as most people listening to this are, just by changing your walk and changing your resting patterns, you can clean up a lot of what you're dealing with on a day-to-day. And if that starts to still kind of give you like I'm getting somewhere, I'm feeling some, some things get better, but I feel like I'm plateauing. That's when you want to say, okay, now I need to kind of bring this pattern. I got to bring it into a little more conscious light. Let me put that 10 minutes in there. Let me put that 20 minutes in there. I think 10 to 20 minutes, when you really think about it in your day to day, if you're really dealing with serious back problems or knee problems, you should probably carve out 10 to 20 minutes to really focus on those behaviors. But all in all, if you're just thinking about your walk to be straighter foot, feet are closer, inner ankle bones are high, and you're thinking about your weighting, think about your standing, don't don't lean your hips forward into the counter, and then start to get back to the ground for some of these resting derivatives during the day. Um, that is a way to create a new movement lifestyle for you. So we're not personal trainers at Goda in the sense that, here, check these boxes, do these lifts, get these muscles bigger. We're more of educators. We're going to show you how you're moving, and we're going to show you how you should be moving. We're going to weigh you against that ideal of a go to 10. And then we're going to show you like, here's how your day-to-day would look in order to kind of saturate the nervous system so that you can tip the scales so that wherever you find yourself right now as a WOTA, you can start to move the scales to where you'll be GOTA. The good news about this is that it is subconscious. So the movement patterns are always going to float back into the subconscious. You're just taking them from the subconscious and bringing them to the conscious light for a little bit of intentful training much like you would do with a golf coach or on a range session. And then you go back out there and you let them float back into the subconscious. Well, the more you do that training, the point of the recode is that you don't have to recode. After a while, you're not thinking about your walk. After a while, you're not thinking about your standing. After a while, you're not thinking about getting back to the ground. You just train the body to behave that way. And as you're behaving in more of a GOTA standard, you're going to notice you're in a more decompressed state. If you're in a more decompressed state, your capsules are healthy, your tissue is healthy, you are overall in a better state. And you really didn't need to set aside an hour, two, three hours of heavy lifting or training to get that done. Yeah. Um, that's a good answer. So, and it's crazy too. I mean, I was showing some people this just in terms of the walk and everything. And the couple kids especially were like, well, I always thought you were supposed to land on your heel when you walked. Like, it's crazy how, and I think I was there at that one point too. It's like, you think you're supposed to go heel to toe, heel to toe and kind of propel yourself forward. So it's interesting. I mean, would you say that the heel shouldn't touch at all when you walk or just kind of a light touch, but you're laying, you want to land on the ball of the feet and almost kind of like spin out. Right. Yeah. You want that heel. You want that heel to feel like it's got nothing to do with anything. Now there's a bone that butts up to the heel on the outside of your foot. It's called a cuboid. And that, that bone essentially sits right below that outer ankle bone that you can, you can touch. So that bony landmark on the outside that you can touch, if you were to go like kind of right below that, you would, you would find this cuboid bone. So it goes right up to the front edge 
of the heel. And the reason I'm saying that is because when you go to walk, you're going to use that cuboid bone. You're going to get heavy on that cuboid bone. So it'll feel like you're getting near that heel region, but that is much different than switching from being in the cuboid to now being in the center of that heel and almost using the center of that heel as the point of contact. You don't want that center of the heel to be the point of contact. So you should really view your heel as having nothing to do with forward movement. It's a kickstand on your bike. Like when you want to move that bike, you kick the kickstand up. You don't keep it down. So that heels really got picture the big cat from a side view, picture the dog. They got the heels up. They're just on all fours. You stand that animal up. Then you'll start to see how the heel can start to come down a little bit. It will appear that the heel, the heel is getting closer to the ground, but the same force lines are there, right? In order to use that Achilles correctly, in order to use that shin correctly, the heel cannot be the pressure point because when it is, it locks the shin bone up. It doesn't let the shin bone turn the right way. And you're going to leak power and you're going to be in a state of really a place where you're fragile and you're, you're, you're right for an injury because you're literally loading against from a base standpoint, your foot and your shin are not in harmony. And then when you start to move faster through space, that foot and shin harmony could lead to an Achilles tear or it could lead to an ACL problem. So I remember that teaching too, growing up heel to toe, heel to toe, whereas you want to see the foot as a platform where it hits the ground it sticks and it doesn't move. It holds straight. It holds steady. It is the foundation. Picture a foot just sitting there on the ground, just the foot. And then you take one side of the body from the ankle all the way to the wrist. And you just plug that ankle in. You plug that shin bone in from the top. That's how that now, now you could take that one side of the body and you could open and close it like a tetherball. You could just mm -hmm. spin it around that point. Well, the foot can't be moving in order to get the maximum turn out of that column. So when people were telling people to go heel toe or to, to let the foot move as the foot's moving, it's like having a house on a bad foundation. The windows are breaking, right? There's leaks and cracks in the wall because there's nothing steady there for everything else to work off of. We've got to hold a steady foot. That's got little to no heel pressure and everything's moving from the cuboid around that corner to really your second toe. And your big toe is on the ground, but it feels very light and it's not holding the majority of the pressure. And there's a gradient cascade of pressure funneling down into that outside corner. So you want to find that outside ball of the foot when you're walking. The best way to do that is to keep the feet close, keep the feet straight, keep that inner ankle bone, the bony landmark on the inside that you could touch. That's got to just stay lifted. Don't let it shift towards the inside when you're walking. Keep it up and away from the ground. Think like the floor is lava for your inner ankle bone. And that'll kind of help you paint the image of like, okay, I'm creating this nice half dome structure at the foot level. That's the start of it all. It takes time though, in that walk to kind of sync it all together. I will generally teach from a foot control standpoint and head control. So I'll, I'll get their feet situated. I'll explain the foot behavior to them like we've been doing. And then I'll say, just let your head get into the column. Meaning when I go to land on my right foot, my right eye should really be over my right pinky toe. Then when I go to switch the energy over to the left foot for my walking stride and I land on my left foot, then my left eye is over my left pinky toe. And if you put this together, you'll start to get that swag walk. You'll start to get some of the natural behavior below the neck, inside the shoulder girdle, inside the spine, inside the hip. So I try to get, because it's really hard to time up the bow in the corner when you're walking, because it's more of like bow corner reset. 
bow corner reset. And so people try to time that up in their walk and it looks funny. I just tell people, get your feet set, let your head kind of float in the column and let it go from side to side. And then just start to work on that and blend it into your normal everyday walk. At first it's funny, but after a while it becomes second nature. You don't want to go back to crooked feet. Yeah. You know, and just, I think to help people understand that, that bony landmark on the outside is the one everybody hits themselves with at the golf club eventually hurts like the dick. And- <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> um, the spot. There you go. You know, I want to talk about sitting and then I want to get, definitely get into the gym side of this too. Cause I know I got parents yeah. and everything listening to this, but, um, so sitting, I mean, is there something consciously we can do, or are we just kind of screwed with how chairs are and stuff? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's, you know, I, I tell people like, if you're sitting in a chair and you're, you're stuck there, like you're, you've been brought back to that chair for either school or work, there's not a ton you can do. I mean, you could take little breaks from what's going to inevitably be a front chain dominant environment inside that chair like you're gonna find yourself i'm doing it right now hips forward head back like we're both side yeah (laughs) so like from where we're yeah you find yourself sitting on one side it's a mess so one thing you could do if you are in a chair and you're not escaping it is bring your tailbone further back in a chair and bring your crown of your head forward so almost try to scoot your tailbone to the back of the chair as you bring your head forward and when you're doing that bring your feet closer together kind of point your toes almost inward to straight and lift your heels up and bring your knees together. So you're kind of going to go into the corner, if you will. You're going to bring your knees together. You're going to get your heels out of the ground. You're going to get your toes straight and you're going to pull your tailbone back as you kind of move your head forward. And you should feel like a little stretch in the lower back and the hip region. And you're essentially what you've done is you've done the exact opposite of how you've been sitting the whole time. So if you picture yourself sitting normally, Where's your tailbone? Your tailbone is actually going to move closer to the front of that seat. Your legs are going to start to open. Your heels are going to be in the ground. Your toes are going to point out. That's like the natural, like I'm relaxed in a chair sitting posture. And then you might dump into one side. So your head and your back, your head will get closer to the back of the chair. Your pelvis and your tailbone will get closer to the front of the chair. Your legs will open up. Your toes will point out. Your heels will be down. That would be bad. Well, now we're saying when you notice yourself like that in a chair, do the opposite. Now pull your tailbone to the back of the chair, bring the crown of your head forward, and then bring your legs closer, lift your heels up. That's kind of a nice little, like, I've just been sitting for 30 minutes. I can't get out of this chair. I'm going to be sitting for another 30 minutes. Let me spend a little time in this position just to kind of counteract all the compression I just got into. That'd be one way. That's something I do if I'm in the car on a long trip. It's something I do if I'm in a chair for a long time, just to kind of create some space again and and alleviate some of that compression. That'd be your only option in the chair. The next option would be when you get out of that chair, that's when you'd want to kind of do some decompression work. You want to hit a groundwork exercise. You want to hit a wall or something, even if it's just hands against the counter and push your hips back and keep your feet straight inside ankle bone high. There's a lot of little things you can do with Goda throughout your day that may feel like 30 second intervals, but they're good because they're at least giving your brain a good rep. You're, ta- you're taking it back to the proper behavior. The real solution to the sitting conundrum is that we develop floor desks. So now if you're somebody that is able to work from home or you're able to work in an environment where you're allowed to return to more of a floor desk, I would highly recommend that. And when you do that, you're going to need some adjustment period because your knees, your hips, your ankles, your low back are just not conditioned for the ground. In fact, if you want to give yourself the hardest workout of your life, try to sit on the ground for 24 hours straight or for a full day. 
Don't sit in any chairs. It'll be one of the most difficult things you ever did because it'll show you how far off your hips and ankles and everything are from that innate design. But if you can get back to a floor desk and we create this, um, this item called a SESA chair, which is essentially the same thing as if you were to sit on a basketball, it's just going to lift your butt off your heels a little bit. And you could picture like Japanese sitting posture. Imagine you're sitting on your shins and from the back view, your toes are in and your heels are away. So that's called Seiza, Japanese sitting posture. There's a lot of chairs um, in, in like low floor seating that are created around that posture. And you could find those on Amazon. So let's say you're somebody that is at a desk and you're not going to be able to bring that desk down. They do make these Seiza chairs that will at least put your system closer to that decompressed shape and state while you're sitting in what will be conventionally a chair that's lifting you up from the ground. So there's these things called, go look it up, S-E-I-Z-A, Seiza chair. There's a bunch of them on Amazon. We sell one on the GoTo movement, uh, the GoToShop.com, but in ours is really deconstructed and super portable. But that's a way to kind of bring your desk closer to the floor. You can sit in this Seiza position. And then you've got a, really, you've got a medley of shapes that are available to you in the ground, in the ground setting, in the resting world. And really no one shape is more important than the other. You kind of want to cycle through them and use all of them and not really sit in one and let your legs go numb. So you'd have really a full list of um, ground resting postures that you'd be able to go through in that floor desk and you'd be able to do all your work and keep your system tuned up as you're sitting. But those are kind of your options. One, do that little adjustment move inside that sitting marathon episode. Two, when you get done with the sitting marathon, that's a time to get into that back chain, get the tailbone, get the feet close, get the feet straight, get the weight out of the heels, and then get that tailbone back and get the crown of the head forward. Put your hands on a counter or put your hands on a wall, put your hands on the side of the car and just feel that expansion in the system. The ultimate would be setting yourself up with a floor desk, starting with some sort of Seiza chair apparatus to kind of help ease your way into these positions, but then having an understanding of, okay, crisscross applesauce, Seiza, long sitting, side saddle, cowboy. There's a bunch of positions that are all centered around the same idea of being back chain dominant inside ankle bone high in a bow or a corner. And when you stand up from that floor desk, you will feel like you got a workout in and you will feel much better from that lower back region going up and down the system. You will feel like you have space, but that's how I would handle the, the sitting world, we tell people this a lot. If we want to change the world, we would put the floor desk in the schools because then the kids would just, the kids have it. Go to something that's in the embryological development. If, if anybody's listening and they've had a baby or they've, they've gone through that process of raising children, when that kid comes out of the womb and you see that like fetal foot where it's toes in, heels away, tucked up high, that's go to, that's inside ankle bone high. That's the spiral mechanism of the leg. It's literally built into the way the system it develops, the spine bud develops first, the legs spiral out and everything just builds itself into this inside ankle bone high shape. Once the baby comes out of the womb, they're subject to decode. But the majority of kids can keep that pattern roughly from birth all the way to like second, third grade. Second, third grades where you start to see the wheels fall off a little bit. Not saying it can't happen earlier with a bad shoe or a bad, there's tons of things that can happen in between that birth to second second grade period, but largely what starts to happen in second grade for these kids, they're sitting a lot. They're sitting in chairs a lot. They're sitting in chairs at school for eight hours a day. If we could somehow get a floor desk in there, they would keep all those great relationships that they had in the embryo. 
in the development process and they would keep them through their adolescence, through high school, then you would have a bunch of gotas flying around. And once we get that pattern deep into the nervous system through the adolescence, it's really hard to take it away. You could take it away, but we have a better chance of keeping our population healthy if we could keep that ground resting sort of tuning system in the uh, in society. And right now it's not there, but that would be the that's the best bet. That's where we need to move to um, as a society. And, and it's going to be tougher for the older population, but it's your it's your best bet to getting out of pain. They tried it with the stand up desk, but then people just do the old they lean their hips forward. They still stay in woda. Mm-hmm. The floor desk is what you want because those postures are. They're non-negotiable. They are observed across culture all over the world. They're nothing that anybody created. It's just something that the human body does and it wants to do. If you have kids, once again, if you try to put them in chairs, they don't sit in chairs like we sit in chairs. We had to teach them to sit in chairs with your on your butt, feet facing forward, right? We taught them that. They all want to sit on their shins. They want to sit crisscross applesauce. Some people even squat, little kids squat in the chair. So that's really what the body's meant to rest around are those postures. And then it keeps the movement tuned. So mother nature is slick like that. You shouldn't have to work out. You should just be walking well and resting well. And that's going to keep your pattern tuned. So as I'm doing what you're talking about here, I'm sitting in my chair differently. I got my toes forward. Why is it hard for me to keep my knees in? Because that is what happens. The majority of the population has missed that cornering aspect. So the cornering aspect is taking that shin bone and thigh bone for simplicity. Let's just picture two legs. And just picture that shin bone and thigh bone spiraling up, around, and in off of that straight foot inside ankle and high. So that's the downswing. That's the transfer of energy that you see in the walk. It's the transfer of energy that you see in the swing or the throw. Well, the majority of us are sitting in these chairs. Go back to what I just said about that sitting posture. How are we normally sitting? Okay, the tailbone's pushed to the front of the chair. The head's pushed to the back. And where are the hips and the ankles? They're open. So now you've kind of opened the hips and the ankles. You've pushed them forward into that compressed state. Now, when you want to spin them back inward, there's no space because everything's been shortened and compressed and pushed to the front of the system. There's no space to make those turns. Remember, the whole system's one thing. It's set up around decompression. So your backswing and your downswing, your bow and your corner, they need that back chain dominant space, right? You can't early extend. Early extend kills the transfer of energy you're kind of sitting in an early extension position all day when you're in the chair. So now when you go to get back to that corner and you're like, whoa, the inside of your hips, the front pocket region, the groin area, it really should all light up because it's just so stuck. And that's Hmm. why the majority of the population does not have that cornering action of inward. It's just because the chair has just kind of opened everything and pushed it to the front and we get stuck there. Gotcha. Okay. So let's get into the gym then and how, training plays a role in this. Now, one thing I really, again, respect with you guys. And again, I I say a lot of this stuff and I'm honest, I I don't, I'm not an expert in any of this. I've just, I'm just somebody who recognizes patterns and I've recognized a lot of my players get hurt when they did heavy weight stuff, uh, especially girls, a lot of bad backs. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen, I had a college player that basically lost her career from getting her back blown out from deadlifting um so i've been pretty vocal about my disdain for that stuff and you know i try to say you know you shouldn't do that to players but they're like well we got a good trainer he knows what he's doing maybe again i'm just like well this is what i've seen i just would say be Mm -hmm. cautious but you know i know that's where hunter and i start talking about it and 
Um, and again, I'm not looking to pick fights or anything, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your guys's theory on training. I love that, you know, Hunter talked about not using a lot of weight, if any, um, to me, that just seems a lot safer. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I guess we'll just go down that road in terms of golf and, it, you know, and again, I asked him this too, but I'd love to hear your side of this. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm looking for a golf specific trainer and I've never mm-hmm. really thought like a sports specific style of training was good, but maybe it is. I don't know. What's your take on all that yeah like if you want to get better at golf you need to just play golf i mean that's like the end that's the end of it like you got to go actually swing the club you got to get on the course and you got to play the game that's going to be how you develop the skill of golf <clears throat> the underpinning of golf though is goda just like the underpinning of who you are as a species is goda you're a forward moving vessel you're designed to move forward through space like we talked about earlier you're a spring you're designed to be a spring The problem with the lift is that it turns you into a shovel. And when you take a spring system and you try to move it like a shovel forward through space, your shovel gets stuck and you get log jam and you start to create problems inside that musculoskeletal system. And when you create log jams, you have problems at the spine, you have problems at the pelvis, you have problems at the hip, problems at the ankle. It doesn't matter where the problem shows up. The point is that the problem was created around a pattern. And so you have a golfer who is, centered around being a spring. They are centered around being Goda. Everything that they need to pull off that, that swing move is back chain dominance, inside ankle bone high, bows and corners. That's what you need. Now you're a golfer and you go into a weight room. Now you start to train in the deadlift, start to train in the squat, you start to train in the Olympics. You are taking everything that you need, swing and downswing, and you're doing the exact opposite of it. When you're trying to keep your tailbone back and create space, you're pushing your tailbone forward and compressing it. When you're trying to get your hip to corner inward on the downswing, you're now taking your hip and you're spinning it outward on the, on essentially the downswing during these lifts. So you're patterning the wrong movement. It's the same thing that we talked about with the car earlier. It's drive and reverse. Your whole sport as a golfer is centered around drive gear. Well, now you go into the weight room and you saturate the nervous system in reverse gear. So now the reverse gear behavior of a hip thrust, shooting the hips forward, heels down, shins moving into out, that has got nothing to do with the golf swing, but you're teaching the system to behave that way. The nervous system is a servant to the environment. So when these young ladies, like the golfer you're talking about, is now going into this weight room, she's taking her malleable system that has to obey whatever the environment tells it to do. And she puts it in this weight room and she does all these deadlifts and she goes through these reps. She's teaching her brain. She's teaching that software pattern to be every time we go to create max neural drive, we're going to thrust that hip forward. We're going to dig the heel into the ground and we're going to spin in reverse. Well, now her brain's like, okay, if that's what you want, that's what we'll do. And the more they're doubling down on this inside of already wearing a poorly designed shoe that's got their toes suffocated. So it's ruining their foot foundation. And then they got a muted lower back because they're sitting in a chair all day. And then you put lighter fluid on it because you want to get their deadlift up because you think that the one rep max is somehow going to translate to the swing. All in all, no one stopped to say, wait a second, what's the pattern? What pattern are we trying to turn? Are, are we trying to train? Because what you'll see at go to the different is that we are going to get you stronger. We are going to give you more endurance, but we're going to do that inside the pattern that you actually live in. And that's where, go to become sort of golf specific without ever having to speak on golf specific. 
So we'll put you through a go to exercise, not in one part of that ever talk about the golf swing, but you'll go pick up the golf club and notice that your golf swing is better. Why is that? Well, because the golf swing is forward movement. It is back chain dominance. It is trying to be inside ankle bone high. You are trying to set a bow on the backswing and then corner in the downswing. So now when your training reflects that, your nervous system is ready for it. Just like the training of that girl that had the deadlift put into her system, her system started to reflect that. So now she's living in a state of compression. She's trying to do a rotary move inside a state of compression. Something's got to give. You can't pull off that dynamic high-speed move in a compressed state forever. Something's going to give. And unfortunately for her, it was the back. So it's really a case of we now know that the nervous system is super malleable. We know that it's a servant to the environment, meaning that it's not just going to like auto-correct you and say, hey, man, you can't do deadlifts. Don't do that. It's going to do what you tell it. It's like Chinese foot binding. You can put that foot inside that shoe and you can train it to reshape it. It's not a good thing, but you can do it just like you can do backflips. You can do Olympic lifts. You can do heavy deadlifts, but it's really not anything that you needed to do, right? If you look back at where was this body forged, what is the design built around? It's built around that hunter-gatherer lifestyle. So that's why we studied the Karubo down in the Amazon. That's why we studied the Zoe or the Anomami, because that's a body that's closer to what is designed and its day-to-day was meant to carry out. Walk, run, throw, swing, strike. Walk, run, throw, swing, strike. Their nervous systems were never going to be saturated in the lift. They were never going to be saturated in front chain dominant sitting behavior. They were never going to be saturated in a tight toe box. Now, fast forward to today and think of that young lady you talked about in the deadlift. She is in a tight toe box. She's saturating the foot inside ankle bone low. She is in the chair all day. She's saturating the spine into front chain dominance. She is going to a trainer that's saying, let's deadlift. Let's Olympic lift. Let's double down on this poor foot behavior. And let's double down on this poor compression behavior. And now you have a system that is going to behave like it's been told to behave, which has been what? What is this system getting? What is its environment constantly telling it? Inside ankle bone low, front chain dominance. So now you've turned yourself into a shovel in a world that, re- that requires you to be a spring. And you're trying to go through that life and you're falling apart and you're falling apart. And it just starts to extrapolate because stack all the walking reps, stack all the swing reps. And then you get to that age of like, 25, 26, and you're like, oh shit, the wheels are starting to fall off. And that's what I think is happening for a lot of young athletes. It's going to accelerate. It's going to get any even younger because the specialized training has moved into the middle school uh, grades. So it used to be you kind of fell apart after college at the end. Now you're falling apart as you're ending high school, getting into college. It's going to eventually just get to you're falling apart as you get into high school because these nervous systems are People are more in chairs than they've ever been because of the, um, the, the phones and the iPads and the MacBooks and everything like that. Then you go ahead and you put them into specialized training, which is like we talked about earlier with the MLB, NBA, PGA. It's all moving into that world. So now you're seeing how, why are these young ladies, these young men, why are they falling apart so quickly? Well, the training plus the resting, the day-to-day is all pointing towards bad movement behavior. It's all pointing towards not the ideal. And we've got to change that. That's why Gota comes in and says, here's the new training ideal. Here's the Gota pattern. Here's what you got to train towards. And it will affect positive change on everything in your life. And then here's the lifestyle side of this. Here's how you walk. Here's how you rest. Now you've got all three phases. You've got your walking, your resting, and your training. And everything is centered around that ideal that we observe from those that are the most durable and the closest to the source, the closest to nature. 
That's your blueprint. I don't care what you are or what you do. That's your blueprint as a human. And that's got to be the one that you train. Then from there, you go layer skill into that system. Then you go learn the flop shot. Then you go learn how to get out of sand. Then you go learn how to punt, putt and how to drive and all those types of things. So there is no really sports specific, but there is something as human specific training. That's what GOTA is. We're saying this body, this system, this everything is designed around moving forward. But the whole training industry is designed around moving backwards. And that's why the injuries are so high. It's interesting, man. Um, you guys are the first ones I ever really heard tackle, you know, really outside of the game as well. Like how you walk, how you sit. Um, yeah. And maybe people have, and I just haven't paid attention, but it's, it's really, really interesting because, you know, I mean, in golf, we really don't play it for, I mean, for adding like decision-making stuff, it's probably about 45 minutes, you know, and Crazy, the other right? five hours out there, I mean, we're moving around, we're sitting, you know, if you're in carts, um, so it's interesting, you know, taking care of those other things and just in your daily life. Also, um, what I wanted to ask about really quick too, is running. I have a specific player who's really gotten good, but she seems to always have a problem with tight hips. I just mm-hmm. kind of contribute that to just always probably thumping the feet this way, the wrong way, but yeah, again, I could be totally wrong, but that's just, you know, something that would make sense to me, but is, you know, somebody who runs a couple of miles a day. I mean, are they going to see some issues? they're landing wrong oh yeah like this that's another one you're putting once again you have to look at it big picture back out of there and say what's the volume like on this system there's still sub dominance suspense that'll take them a long time sort of um pattern system and you put it into a running scenario every single day that's going to kind of accelerate the breakdown so if you're somebody that does have a faulty movement pattern and you're moving more woda and then you say, well, I'm going to run two to three miles a day. That's going to be a problem because you're going to be putting a lot of bad reps on the system. It, it, it's no different than you putting a bunch of bad reps in your walk. It's just that the run is a little more higher impact. There's more pressure force going into the system because it's at a higher click. It's a little more dynamic. Um, that, that's kind of the problem with the run. There's nothing run wrong with the run. There's a problem with how you're running. It's just like, there's nothing wrong with sitting. The problem is in how you're sitting. Like Mm -hmm. you're meant to sit, you're meant to rest. You're just supposed to rest on the ground. You're meant to walk, you're meant to run, but you're meant to walk and run like a Goda. Well, well, people start to be like, man, I can't, I can't run. It hurts. Well, it's like, yeah, you're not a Goda. You're not running like a Goda. Of course it hurts. That's your body telling you that, Hey, the way you're using me is, is something, something wrong with it. You got to get it corrected. So running is great. Walking is great. You just got to make sure you're doing it like a GOTA. Now that athlete comes in to a GOTA coach, they're going to tell them that. And they're going to say, hey, I know you like to run. Maybe pull back on that for these first couple weeks. Let's reintroduce your walk. And maybe you go on longer walks. Then we start to pick it up back into a jog once we understand these behaviors a little bit. And we put more good reps into the system. We have a better kinesthetic intelligence. Then we can come back to that run. Then we can come back to that longer uh, duration of an exercise in more volume, but we're just kind of being aware of where you are currently, how much volume you're putting into the system. And then, you know, how are we going to adjust and kind of get you back up to speed, but not break you down in that process? Yeah, that's perfect. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to bring some, some players out to you guys this, uh, this off season and do some work. Cause this is, this is interesting. Um, so uh, last thing, and it's always best in person. Yeah, for sure. So last thing then just actually getting in. So, you know, the parents listening, the kids listening, you know, what is good advice in terms of how they should be approaching the gym workouts? Like, 
how I guess how what would be kind of the way to get them started or thinking? Yeah, so to get started, the best place to go would be to get an assessment. And and we offer those on the go to movement.com website where you can go in, you can get assessed by me. So you can sign up for basically get your intro assessment, get your intro assessment and get your intro regimen. That'll get you inside the GoTo app. It'll get you an understanding of what we're talking about centered around education the system with your movement sort of as the centerpiece um, to kind of like, here, here's what should be happening. Here's you. Here's how we're going to get you to that position of being a GOTA. Here's the movement prescription we're going to give you. So that's probably the best like starting point for everybody in GOTA because it's an education system. It's using your own movement to kind of bring awareness to how you're, how you are moving, how you've been moving. And it will give you a cleaner explanation as to why that knee hurts, as to why the back hurts. You'll get that, that final, like, Oh, now I can see why I have ankle trouble. Now I can see why. So that's really where to start. That'll get you like that base regimen that we talked about earlier. Hey, you got 10 minutes, you got 20, you got 30. That's what that is. That's like your, look at it as your movement hygiene. It's your brushing the teeth of the musculoskeletal system. Every athlete, every human should really have that to start because we all need to start fighting these WOTA inputs. The next step to that is, hey, I need to train. I'm a weekend warrior. Uh, I play in a lot of golf tournaments. I, I, I have a low handicap or I'm an actual competitor at this game and I need to be sharp. My body needs to be ready for the, for the turmoil or the, the sort of the challenge that is a season. Now you want to go to Recode 225. So Recode 225 is, is the performance side of GOTA. So now you are going to start to use weight. You are going to start to add resistance, but it's going to be inside that pattern, that go-to pattern. So everything's going to be centered around the back chain dominance, the inside ankle bone high, the bows and corners, the stuff that you learned in your intro assessment and what you started to put into the system in the intro regimen. So ideally, you'd start with an intro assessment, an intro regimen. Maybe you want a couple more regimens and assessments after that to keep dialing it in. Then you go over to Rico 225 and it's a workout of the week and you just follow along. You go ahead to your local gym and you hit those workouts. And that would be the ideal way to go about go to training so that you know you're getting the right education. You know you're getting the go to approved exercises. The go to approved exercises are sitting inside the go to movement app. So if you want to train with a coach and, and if you're working go to or you think you're working go to and you're not doing it through the go to movement app, then it's not go to and you want to go to Rico 225 for stuff inside the gym, for the performance side. Because if you look around on IG or you look on YouTube, you're going to see a lot of people adapting stuff, and they're still doing lifts. They just think because they put their feet straight that they crack the code. It's still WODA. It's still bad behavior. So if you're looking for, like, how do I start working on GOTA and I want to know that I'm doing it right, go to go to movement.com, get assessed, get into the GOTA Movement app. And then transfer over to Rico two two five for your performance training. That'd be the place to start. Gotcha. And do you have other stuff out there too? Social media is that people can kind of see some stuff with you. I mean, where can people find you? Yeah. So you can go to my my IG page, which is at Red Pill Rick, or you just type in Ricky Stanzi and it'll pop up. Um, go to Gary Scheffler at GLS underscore training. Um, that's his page. Our, our us two are kind of going to give you a good understanding on our pages of what we're teaching a um, little more in depth on some of the concepts, but <clears throat> I'll be, I'll be honest with you. IG is really not a place to learn something. Sure. It's a place to get, to get interested about something. So if you want to, if you're at the point where like, dude, I agree with this, or if you're at the point where you're like, um, 
I want to know more about this. I want to look at what this guy was saying on that podcast. Then I would start with the IG. If you're somebody that's already looked at the IG and you're convinced and you know that this is the truth and you want to start training it, I wouldn't just go around IG and YouTube and try to copy it. I'd actually get an assessment, learn the exact exercise that you need, learn the truth. Because once again, there's a lot of people out there that are muddying the waters. And that way you don't waste any time. I'm, I'm, I'm a former athlete. I hate wasting time. So I don't want to waste yours. And so there's a lot of people on IG that just, you know, they want to take their shirt off and do an exercise. And they, you know, <laughs> went through the go to certification. They start putting up a bunch of trash. So just be cautious on IG. But those two pages are a good place to start. Another, another page on there to look at is at load the bow. Um, that's RJ. He's a good place to look at for um, stuff that's going to be strict to the math and it's going to be Gota. So between our three IG pages, that's where I would go, go to go to movement.com. That's going to have kind of all the links to the other stuff. And we also have a go to movement page on Instagram that you could look at. And if you're on my page and you click the link tree, it's got all those links to, to the go to movement page, the YouTube page, the go to shop, all those different spots, Rico 225, um, you know, more information on the assessments in, in the regimens. But between YouTube, Instagram, and the go to movement.com website, that's kind of where you want to go to find all the latest news and, and, and kind of what's, what's going on, what's offered from Gota. Uh, that's great, man. I appreciate it. Ricky Stanzi. I mean, you got kind of a Hollywood name, man. You know, it's just it's <laughs> got you. that ring, dude. Ricky Stanzi. Absolutely. Um, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you sharing so much information. I mean, this is, and I, you know, I say this a lot selfishly. I, this is why I do the podcast. Cause I, I get to talk to interesting people and learn from myself, mm -hmm. which essentially can spread the message that way. So I appreciate it. I'm learning a lot from you guys and very interested. Like I said, I really want to, and actually I'm going to have you hold up just a minute after this, if you can, I want to talk to you guys about how we can keep kind of working together mm -hmm. more. Cause I want to get some players involved in this and uh, hopefully everybody listening, especially parents, you know, can't stress this enough with your kids. I mean, be, you know, <laughs> I think you guys are the ones to go to because you can get led down some wrong paths. And I've just seen it coach juniors for so long. And I've seen some get really down the wrong roads with fitness mm -hmm. stuff. And I think that's again, where kind of my disdain for the industry was, cause there's just no, there was really no consensus or nothing that anything that made a lot of sense to me. Um, so I was always hearing so many different messages, but the more I hear you guys talk, the more it's kind of natural, you know, movements and stuff like that. It, it's really ringing, ringing to me. So I'm interested and we're going to, we're going to keep going with it for sure. So thanks again, man. I appreciate you taking so much time. I know we went long, but this was very, very interesting. No, thanks for having me on. I mean, this is, this is kind of how Gota is explained. And it, that's why I say IG is tricky because you get a short post and a caption, like it doesn't do it justice. You know, you sure. kind of need, to flesh out these concepts. And it would, it would be even be better if we had the slow motion video that we could play through this. You know what I mean? You could like in, do it in person, like to see the body move because it is patterns. It's, it's observation. That's the kind of the last piece I'll, I'll leave everybody with is that at Gota, you're going to understand the why and the how, you know, you're mm -hmm. going to understand why you're hurting. You're going to understand why the lower back or why you feel inefficient. Then you're going to understand how to change that. And so that's kind of what I was always looking for as an athlete. And I'm sure you can echo that as a golfer and in, in dealing with a bunch of athletes. I was always like, why are these things happening? Like, why are these things happening? I'm not getting any definite answers. And then how the hell do I change it? You know, there's some people that will tell you something's wrong, but then they won't give you the correction on the other side of it. So GOAT is around this idea of a macro concept, taking a step back for a second, hold on, let's get the 40,000 foot view of what the hell's going on, not only in the industry, but just as a species across the globe, like what is it designed to do? Where do we start to look? 
that objective reality is nature, those closest to the source, those that are the most durable, and they're doing it sort of in the way it was designed. And that's where we start. That's why we have an ideal that's going to show you, hey, here's why you're having problems. Here's how we're going to fix it. With that like, oh, light bulb moment, now you're dangerous because you're educated. So we have a lot of parents and athletes that are dangerous because they know better. They go back to their coach and like, mm, no, we're not doing heels down. Well, why not? Well, I was shown. I'm not going to, you know, disobey my own eyes. I'm not going to, you know, just pretend like I'm not seeing what I'm seeing. So that's why the education piece of this is huge. And when you give that back to the parents and the athletes, they feel empowered. And that's what excites us at Gota because we want them to understand their own bodies so they can take care of themselves as they go through their sports career. Not only that, but even life as they go through life and they get older, you want to be able to use this system when you're 50, 60, 70, 80, you don't want it falling apart halfway through. So understand the why and understand the how. You'll be thankful you did. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it again. Um, good stuff, dude. Uh, yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the end of this episode. I hope you got some incredibly good stuff out of this. It would be awesome if you really find value in this podcast and you drop us a five-star review. Uh, leave a comment. It really helps continue to grow. It helps us get great guests on the show, which essentially is going to bring you some of the best information. That is the journey of Behind the Swing is to get the absolute best out of these people, players, coaches, fitness people, you know, whoever we can find that's going to give you great information to help you grow in your golf game. So again, thank you for following us. We'll see you in that next episode.